We're going to look together this morning at Joshua chapter 3, God leading his people through the Jordan. And I want to begin by reading verse, from verse 9 of Joshua chapter 3. Joshua said to the Israelites, come here and listen to the words of the Lord your God. This is how you will know that the living God is among you, and that he will certainly drive out before you the Canaanites, Hittites, Hivites, Perizzites, Girgashites, Amorites, and Jebusites. See, the ark of the covenant of the Lord of all the earth will go into the Jordan ahead of you. Now then, choose twelve men from the tribes of Israel, one from each tribe, And as soon as the priests who carry the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, set foot in the Jordan, its waters flowing downstream will be cut off and stand up in a heap. This is how you will know that the living God is among you and that he will certainly drive out these nations. And then he's described in verse 13 as the Lord of all the earth. It's a very exciting book, the book of Joshua. It's the conquest. Uh, The people have emerged from Egypt in the Exodus. But that was another generation. Those who came out of Egypt have died in the wilderness. This is a new, younger generation who will enter the promised land. And uh, there's a similar experience. The Red Sea parted, When the people left Egypt, now the river Jordan parts as Joshua leads the people. A great company of people, hundreds of thousands of men, women and children being led into the promised land. So the time of preparation was open. Canaan was now to be entered. And it was the promised land. Many years before, the Lord had appeared to Abraham. And he had said to your offspring, I will give this land, the land of Canaan. That was God's promise. One of the things we learn from reading the Old Testament is that it takes a long time sometimes for God's promises to be fulfilled. But they always are because his promises are true. We can be very impatient. We want things to happen now. But now this generation is being given the land by the Lord their God. He has commanded Joshua to take up the leadership of God's people after Moses has died. Spies have been sent out, and Rahab and her family have been spared. And now Israel moves to the edge of Jordan and is preparing to enter the land. It's a significant time for them and, of course, for the people who lived in the land at that time. In many ways, the book of Joshua is a parallel to the book of Acts in the New Testament. The Acts of the Apostle. Jesus died, he rose again, the Holy Spirit came, and then the gospel went into all the world. And Joshua is telling us what happened in his day, as the Lord took them into the promised land, as they engaged the enemy. I wonder sometimes what our picture of the church is. Is it a picture of an army? An army of people, Uh, not people killing others, but seeking to tell them about the Lord Jesus Christ, but with all the the determination uh, that an army has. You see, they've been preparing, they've been looking forward to this day, but now the day has come, and they've 
got to go through the Jordan and enter the land. Uh, sometimes when boxers are preparing for a fight, they do shadow boxing. They don't actually punch anybody. They just go through the motions and go through the moves. And I fear sometimes as Christians, we, we go through the moves. We talk about what we're going to do, but we, we hardly ever land a punch on the enemy. But just imagine the significance for the people who lived in the land, these various peoples that are mentioned here. When this great company of people are there, first of all, on the other side of the Jordan, and then the Jordan parts, past parts, and they go through the Jordan, and there they are. They're in the land. Abraham and Sarah just had one son. But now God has made Abram's descendants into a great nation. And they've come to conquer the land. When we think of our calling to be a witness to the gospel here in St. Melons and the areas around here in the city of Cardiff, do we think, well, we are the ones together with other Christians who live in the area whom the Lord will use to bring the gospel to the people who live here? Just as Joshua and the people were conquering the land, we want to conquer the hearts of God's of people in order that they might know the Saviour. The ministry of Paul had lots of challenges and difficulties, and his, his ministry in Corinth was not an easy ministry. And one night God spoke to him in a vision to encourage him, and he said, Do not be afraid, keep on speaking, do not be silent, for I am with you, and no one is going to attack and harm you because I have many people in this city. Do you believe that? That there are many people in this city, in this area of the city, uh, whom are God's people. They're going to come to faith in the Saviour because he is going to do a work in their hearts. Do we see ourselves as a congregation of God's people? Not, not just a place we come to receive the spiritual food we need and the encouragement we need, but a people with a common goal and with a sense of what we've been called to do here as a people. We're on active service for the Lord. Uh, when a church is seeking a new pastor, there's a great temptation to, uh, to say, well, we'll wait for the new pastor to come. And uh, when he comes, he'll see to all this. But that shouldn't be our way of thinking at all. We should be as active now as ever we have been during the time that Andy and Russ before him have been with us. And as we wait for a pastor to come, that when he comes, he'll find that we're actively engaged in gospel ministry, uh, that he can uh, join us in and we can be with him in all that he will do as well and so this this book of joshua presents us a picture of god's people on the move god's people obeying god and advancing and uh, there are great enemies to be faced lots of people who who don't want to give up their land wall cities that we see like the wall, city of jericho but god was going to go before the people and that, that's the symbol that you have in this crossing of the Jordan. God's going ahead. We're following him. He has a great purpose. And so let's look at some of the things this passage teaches us. First of all, God gave them his word. In verse 9, Joshua says to Israelites, Come here and listen to the words of the Lord your God. They were in part words of command, things that they were to do, the law of God that they were to obey, but they were also reminding them of promises and of the God who was with them. 
And uh, he's described in verse 13 of chapter 3 as the Lord of all the earth. Uh, at the end of chapter 4, uh, we're told that he did this so that all the peoples of the earth might know that the hand of the Lord is powerful and so that you might always fear the Lord your God. And so God communicates truth to his people. He can reminds them of his promises and of what he is going to do. And what he expects them to do. It's not going to just happen. They must engage in it. He's leading the way. But they are to follow him. And uh, obedience to God is focused in the person of Joshua. Joshua has succeeded a giant of a man. Moses was a spiritual giant. And then he's died without ever entering the promised land. And Joshua succeeds him. And uh, this crossing of the Jordan is when... God says to the people, Joshua is now my leader. Verse 7, the Lord said to Joshua, Today I will begin to exalt you in the eyes of all Israel, so that they may know that I am with you as I was with Moses. Joshua's credentials, his appointment by God is to be testified to by the crossing of the Jordan. In other words, the people are not to say, "Oh, things will never be the same now that Moses isn't here. The temptation sometimes to think that. I think in Wales we're very prone to look back and to think how wonderful the past days were. And they were in many cases. But those memories should drive us forward with a confidence that the God who blessed in the past will bless in the future too. And it's important that the Israelites know that. That Joshua is now the leader and God's commands come through him and the officers to the people. And uh, they are to obey uh, his commands. Leadership's a crucial thing, isn't it? We, we live at a time when, in the world generally, leadership is in crisis. Very strange people are leading significant nations in the world. And their leadership is anything but helpful and positive. And uh, there's populism and weakness and authoritarianism and so on. And leadership in the church can be a problem as well because of the days in which we live and uh, people don't accept authority. Parents have difficulties sometimes with authority and employers and politicians and uh, people are afraid to lead in case people get upset or don't want to follow <coughs> and so leaders sometimes withdraw. But leadership is so important, particularly in the life of the church. There's that danger that everyone does what they like. There's a sort of freedom just to do things. And there's no sense of that, that discipline that you see uh, in, for instance, an army that is serving in a, a dangerous place like Afghanistan, for instance. The way soldiers follow leaders, obey commands, work out uh, together the issues that they're going to face unitedly. At the end of the book of Judges, you have this terrible statement that in those days Israel had no king. Everyone did as they saw fit. They did as they pleased. And it was a crisis. And so God is attesting Joshua as the leader of uh, the Lord's people. But then the people too have got to prepare. Uh, we're told that they're told in verse 5, Consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing or wonderful things among you. But consecrate yourselves. Get ready. And it's not only leaders that are important, but it's the people who, who follow, the people who are uh, God's people, 
called to serve him in particular situations. Uh, As they came to Mount Sinai, where the Ten Commandments were given, the Lord told Moses to tell the people there, go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow. Have them wash their clothes and be ready by the third day. Because on that day the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people. Prepare, consecrate, wash your clothes, be ready, be focused, know what you're coming to do. Because the time has come to enter the land. So there were outward rites, but it was that inward preparedness. Are we inwardly prepared to serve the Lord? Our leader is not Joshua, our leader is the Lord Jesus Christ leading us on. And his word, his commands, have a sanctifying effect. They, they consecrate us through the truth. We, we live in a world where truth uh, is hard to find, hard to come by. And uh, there are false reports, there is fake news. And, and we have the truth supremely in the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the truth. And uh, it's through his word that he sanctifies us, he consecrates us, he makes us ready to serve him. I think that's a real challenge to us. What effect does the word of God have on me? What effect does it have on you personally? We, We believe the word of God, we preach the word of God, but does it change us? Are we different and being constantly changed because of the influence of the word? In the parable of the sower, Jesus talks about the various grounds into which the, the seed falls, the soils. And he talks about a seed falling among the thorns. And he says, as he interprets the parable, that those are those who hear the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word, making it unfruitful. That's a very real experience, isn't it? You hear the word and it sort of floats away. Why? Well, well, I've got things going on in my life at the moment. It's all I can do to cope with those things. And then I'm trying to get established in the world and I'm I'm trying to get security for my family and so on and the deceitfulness of wealth and the belief that if I've got more money or more things, that I'll be secure. And those things choke the word. If somebody's choked, they Somebody's got their hands around their throat so they can't breathe. And Jesus is saying that the influence of God's word can be choked by the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of riches. And that's a very real issue for us, isn't it? Uh, The people are told to listen to the words of the Lord their God. And that word is to make a difference in us. It's going to be crucial. God is telling them what he's going to do and then he's calling them to enter into all those things as do as he, he goes before them, leads them into the land. And so that, that's the first thing that we need to see, that God gives a word to his people at this time, but also then he assures them of his guidance and his protection. He guided and protected. In verse 10, this is how you will know that the living God is among you. It's really important. God was amongst his people. He wasn't amongst the people of the land. He was only amongst his people. And the symbol of God's presence was the ark, the ark of the covenant, a a box uh, with gold on it. And and in it, the uh, tablets of stone handed to Moses on Mount Sinai. And uh, it was the ark of the covenant of God's promises. 
And it was the ark which was the outward symbol of God's presence with his people. And so when the ark is seen, it's a, it's a reminder to the people that the Lord our God is with us. And uh, it reminded them of their obligations. Those tablets of stone, the, the Ten Commandments. What God calls his people to live by, his sacred law and an obligation to obey that law. But also in the Ark of the Covenant, it was what called the mercy seat or the atonement cover. And it was a place where sacrifice was made, reminded of blood that was shed for forgiveness. The law to obey and the grace of God to forgive us when we fail. And so the Ark symbolizes God's dealings with his people. Where the ark was, there was a reminder of God's grace. So the ark symbolized grace, guidance, and God's guardianship. And it was the sign that God was leading them against the enemy at this vital point in the history of Israel. They could be sure of God's leadership. They could be sure of God's protection. And the ark is sent on ahead of them with the priests. You know, we have a wonderful promise, don't we, from our Lord Jesus Christ as he sent his apostles out into the world to take the gospel to all nations. And uh, he said they were to go and to make disciples and they were to baptize and teach. And then he said, and lo, I am with you always, even to the very end of the age. The presence of the Holy Spirit, not, not the Ark of the Covenant, but the Holy Spirit in every one of our hearts as believers and in the church. And that's so important. And sometimes people say to us, well, how can we know that God is present with us? And the answer is because he's promised. He's promised to be with us and he has sent his spirit to be with us. And and, and sometimes the feeling is, well, he'll be with us only if we're faithful. Well, this was a mixed company of people and they were not always faithful. It would not be long before they ran into problems in the conquest. But the symbol of God's presence was there, the symbol of the reality. And it's vital, absolutely vital that we know and count on the presence of God with us. Otherwise, we turn in on ourselves and we're paralyzed from doing anything. And these people needed to step forward in confidence in God. And the the ark was the symbol because the ark was sent on ahead, some distance uh, from the people, uh, about a, a thousand yards ahead of them, with the priests carrying it. Just see, you see the picture. The, there's this great company of people, and they come to the Jordan. As soon as the priests' feet stand in the water, the waters pass, and the priests and the ark stay in the river until all the people have crossed over. We, we, we read that they, they hurried across because there were so many of them. And uh, then the ark goes ahead of them. It's unprotected. See, God doesn't need to be protected from enemies. He is greater than them all. He is the Lord of all the earth. And the sign of those priests standing holding the ark was an awesome sight for the enemies to see. You see, they had gods, but they were idols. They had eyes, but they didn't see. Ears, but they didn't hear. Mouths, but they didn't speak. They were just idols. They had no power. 
But the God of Israel isn't like that. And, and in these early chapters of Joshua, uh, we learn that the people were aware of that. Rahab knew that. And he spoke, she spoke about how the people's hearts had melted because they'd heard about the exodus. They'd heard about the great victories that God had given to his people. And now the same theme is here as, as the people of the land see this great company entering. They're intimidating, but it's this ark with the priests. It is a symbol that the living God is with these people. And he is going to grant them the victory. And the people sort of stand back. You know, sometimes we're very conscious of what we've got to do. And there are things we've got to do. But sometimes it's good to stand back and say, Lord, what are you going to do? Not in the sense of putting him to the test, but just to watch and to wonder and to be amazed. Consecrate yourselves for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you. How great are our expectations of God? One great missionary leader said, expect great things from God and attempt great things for God. Our determination to serve God is linked to our view of him, our expectation of what he is able to do. And he's going to do it with Joshua and the people. And uh, they are his people. And we have been brought near to God in his grace through Jesus Christ. Once we were no people, but now we are God's people. We have access to the Father by the Holy Spirit. And far greater blessings than Joshua and the people could ever have known. And they're ours in Jesus Christ. And so God speaks to them through his word, but then he tells them, I'm going to guide you. I'm going to protect you. He's going on ahead of you. That's a really important thing, isn't it? It's in anything we do for God to feel that he's not doing it in the sense he's following us. He's leading us. He goes ahead of us. And if you've ever known an encouraging conversation with somebody, you think, God was here before we were. He was doing something before ever we got involved. Because he's at work. He's at work in the hearts of people. And then he also showed them his power. And he assured them of victory. He was going to do wonders, marvelous things. And these great events, the exodus and the conquest of the land, were for centuries to come great encouragements to successive generations of God's people. They were descended from the people who came out of Egypt, who crossed the Red Sea. They were descended from those who conquered the land. God had done great things. And the conquest is to be all the Lord's doing. He will certainly drive out from you. He'll do it. He'll give you the victory. And and he gives us the victory in the Lord Jesus Christ, doesn't he? Uh, When Paul writes that great 15th chapter of 1 Corinthians about the resurrection and explains the resurrection of the body, uh, he says, um, as he thinks about death and sin and And all the things that are true of us, he says, but thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. When we come to the end of our lives, what is our hope? Well, it's our hope that the living God is with us. And he will enable us to face that last enemy of death. and, And he will do it. 
facing death is a daunting thing. Facing the conquest of the land was a daunting thing. But Paul says, God gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And therefore we just stand firm and let nothing move us, always giving ourselves wholly to the work of the Lord, because we know our labour in the Lord is not in vain. He's the living God, this lovely description of him, the Lord of all the earth. He was Lord in Egypt. He was Lord in the wilderness. He's Lord in Canaan. Wherever his people find themselves, it's his territory. He's there. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell in it. You know, our generation mocks that, doesn't it? It says no one can say that their religion is true, that their God is the only God, that their saviour is the only saviour. But the Bible teaches us that. And it's so vital that we believe it and act upon it if others too are to come to know him. He is the Lord of all the earth and he does wonderful things. He does unexpected things. And we look for him to intervene. And that's happened in Wales historically. We've known times, wonderful times of revival where many people have come to know the Lord. And uh, they've been thrilling times. They've been the key, really, to the continuing witness to the gospel in this land. And uh, yet we've got to be careful when we, we think about asking for God's blessing. David Morgan, a man who was used in the 1858-1859 revival, of whom it was said that uh, one day before the revival, he went to bed a, a lamb and he woke up a lion. Uh, and everything he'd ever learned about God and about his word was something he could immediately recall and use. Two years later, he went to bed a lion and he woke up a lamb. The Lord used him for those years and, and then he continued as a, just a minister of the gospel, an ordinary minister of the gospel. God did amazing things. But he said on one occasion, how much more God would bless us if only he could trust us not to take the glory to ourselves. So that's a danger. There's a danger here. It's not you, Joshua, even though I've called you to lead. It's not you because you're lots and lots of people. It's not you because you're great warriors. But I'm going to give you the victory. And there's a danger that when he gives the victory, we take the glory to ourselves, we give glory to men. And the glory belongs only to him. And so we see Joshua and the people, they're faithful and trusting. The priests step into the river as they've been commanded, holding the ark and the river parts. It was in flood and uh, it parted for them to enter the land. What a wonderful thing. You see, they couldn't do it. This river was a, a barrier that they couldn't have passed through without God's help. Matthew Henry has a lovely comment on this Stepping into the Jordan, he says, let us go as far as we can and then look to God for the rest. Let's do what we can and then look to God to multiply and to magnify what we do. And there was the taking of these stones as a, a memorial for future generations. And they set up at Gilgal the, the 12 stones. And, and when children would say, well, what are those stones? What are they all about? And they'd be told the story about how those stones were in the centre of the Jordan. And uh, God led his people through the Jordan. And then the, the stones were carried and put up as a memorial to what God had done. As it says at the end of chapter 4. He did this 
so that all the peoples of the earth might know that the hand of the Lord is powerful and that you might always fear the Lord your God. And there, there are memorials, aren't there? There are places where God has worked and blessed and there are testimony to him. And what was the effect upon the people of the land? Well, we didn't read into chapter 5. We had a long reading. But the opening verses of chapter 5 says, Now when all the Amorite kings west of the Jordan and all the Canaanite kings along the coast heard how the Lord had dried up the Jordan before the Israelites until we had crossed over, their hearts sank and they no longer had the courage to face the Israelites. God put fear into their hearts and they knew that the living God, the Lord of all the earth, was coming. And we need to have that confidence in God, don't we, today? We're not conquering a people. We're not involved in a battle in that sense. We're not conquering cities. But we're seeking to win men and women for Jesus Christ. As Jesus called the disciples, he said he would teach them to catch people alive for him. And we have great encouragements as we do that. Uh, the victory of our Lord Jesus Christ on the cross, the word of God which is living and active, the gospel to proclaim, prayer, access to God and all the authority and power of heaven, the fact that our Lord Jesus Christ has all authority in heaven and on earth, that he's interceding for us, the power of the Holy Spirit. And so it is in that confidence that people like Paul went out into the world, just ordinary men, preaching a message in a hostile world, and the Lord had many people whom he called to himself. And Paul said, for though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. So this passage is a great encouragement to us. Uh, our God is the living God. He's the Lord of all the earth. And he is among his people.